A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 191 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me, like the need to change your name after Order 66, if you have a high midichlorian count, the EU guru himself, the count of continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, folks, but don't call me Shirley. Yeah, I know. Lame, but it's all I could come up with on short notice. Surely you jest. And joining us once again, the rebel leader of the Star Wars Report's original Rebels Roundtable, the one, the only, Jonathan Brenner. Hey, all. It's good to be here, and hey, life is pretty sweet. Amen. Speaking of sweet things, before we get started, a few quick notes here. Um, Number one, I have started up those text reviews, if you haven't been checking them out yet, over at StarWarsReport.com. They now include the Battlefront game, the Battlefront app, Battlefront Twilight Company, so a lot of Battlefront things, plus some of the uh, recent eBooks and material coming from Disney Press, things we haven't had a chance to really hit on the show, like Lost Stars, Moving Target, and things like that. So if you're interested in Beyond the Films reviews in text form, check those out at StarWarsReport.com. Also, let me thank Mark. This morning, as of the time that we're recording this, Mark joined me for the first time on my Battlefront livestream podcast. So he and I got a chance to just kind of shoot the Sith, so to speak, while playing the Battlefront video game on PS4, broadcasting live to YouTube. You can find that on youtube.com slash user slash chrono radio. And hopefully he'll be popping up again soon. Oh, you can count on it. That was a lot of fun. In fact, the two hours flew right by. You're like, I got to go. And I'm like, Oh, so, oh my God, two hours already gone. <laughs> and and it flew by even though we were dying constantly. That's true. That seems to be a constant with that game as of right now. <laughs> Speaking of dying, transition to Order 66. Execute Order 66. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we explore Marvel Comics Kanan, The Last Padawan, Volume 1. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you a quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. That's right. This is an oddity, I guess you could say, and I like to use that word odd and oddities, because this is a comic that is directly tied into Star Wars Rebels, providing us with sort of a present-day framing story with flashbacks going all the way back to Order 66. It's essentially the origin story of Kanan Jarrus, who we know from Rebels so well. And I gotta say, this one 
I don't know if I was expecting more or not. I feel like I know Kanan so much better after reading this, especially now that we're seeing him interact with Rex on the show and seeing why he has this visceral loathing and fear in a lot of ways of the clones because of what they did to him, what he saw them do to his master, and this almost year-long, it seems, hunt that happens as a couple of clones are chasing him after Order 66, trying to kill him like they did Depa Bilaba. Um, it really adds a lot to the Kanan character. But, at the same time, I look at this story and I wonder, if this wasn't Kanan, if this was anybody else, some new character, would I give a crap? And unfortunately, I don't feel like the story is compelling enough that I would care if this was someone that I didn't already have an emotional investment in. Uh, that said, artistically, the art... I feel is kind of hit or miss in this. It's Pepe Larraz doing the artwork. And I don't know. It just seems as though sometimes he's spot on grabbing the characters. Other times, the characters from Rebels we're so used to seeing in animation don't look quite like themselves. It seems like certain features are right, but their actual faces aren't quite on par. And there are a couple times in this where we have pairs of characters where the only real distinguishing feature between them is a scar running across their face. And sometimes the scar disappears depending on what panel we're looking at, which makes it really difficult to tell the two clones apart and sometimes to tell a couple of other characters from Kaller apart. So not as fond of the art on this one, but it does its job. There are instances where it's just awesome. Other times it's not clear enough. It winds up feeling confusing. And a story that is great for Kanan, but on its own merits... If it were anyone else, I'm not sure that it would work. So I'm sort of torn on this one. You know, as far as my impressions of this uh, series, not going too deep into it, I, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't completely overwhelmed by this. Nathan, like you, the art for me was very hit or miss. But I, I usually read comics for the stories, and the art's secondary. I'm, I'm more interested in the content, and. You know, Kanan is a character that I feel like we know so much about, both in the series itself and in A New Dawn, the novel that is centered around him and Hera, uh, more him though. I just, I feel like, you know, this is a character that's been mined a little too heavily and I'd like to see them maybe put this type of effort into some of the other characters from Rebels. So I guess I'm the odd one here. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. While I agree with Nathan's point about had this been any other character, would we care about it as, as much? I agree with what he says there. And yet it also makes me think about the fact that like I Jedi is one of my favorite books. And yet I think I can apply what Nate's saying to that story as well, because I really like Koran's backstory, but it's Rogue Squadron that gave him the backstory that made him somebody that I wanted to know more about by the time I got to I Jedi. But that's how that's working for Rebels. Like, I'm invested in Kanan's character. I want to know more. I want to know how he's considered a cowboy Jedi. Uh, and Rebels hasn't really shown me why he's considered a cowboy Jedi, per se. And I'm kind of hoping, like, maybe something along the lines as this fills in the gaps there that it gives us that. Plus, it, it serves, it's one of the few comics right now that are giving us stories in the prequel trilogy, we are going to get uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan uh, a story next year. But right now, this is kind of it. And I don't know, for me, like, 
I'm really interested to find out why he changed his name. I mean, I get why, but I want to follow him to this point. I'm, I, I don't know. There's something about Kanan's character that I'm enjoying the ride. I feel like when I'm watching Rebels, Ezra's the character that I need to be focusing on in that regard. But I feel like this comic is giving me that same level of attention like I get with Ezra in Rebels of Kanan to kind of give me an idea of where the guy that's going to help Ezra along you know, where he got the mind frame he is, you know, kind of like the Buffy, uh, the, the Buffy Summers character in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. By the end of the series, you know, she's like this awesome general. And I get that feeling at times from Kanan, you know, where he's got a confidence that is out of place at times. And I kind of want to see that develop as it's going. And it's it does do that because you see him out of his element and stuff. Uh and it's, I guess I'm also the odd one because I really like the art in this. This is probably one of my favorite art styles of the new Marvel comics. Uh, Marvel's doing really good across the board for the art. There's very few that I'm not caring for. Uh, and I'm, I'm with you, Jonathan. Like, you know, the story is the one that really carries it. But I do love a good space battle, uh, good cockpit scene, and good character stuff. And I, I guess the, the moments in here that are, are less that you guys aren't caring so much didn't jump out to me as much as some other series have. So I really, really enjoyed the art all the way through. I would love to see this kind of art style carried over into some of the other series like Princess Leia, even Lando, I think could be better served with this style of art than the one they chose. But again, that's, that's a matter of taste and preference and, and mine isn't the end all be all of our star Wars fandom. So, you know, I got to recognize that as well, but I think overall, this is a strong story for me. I really enjoy it. I put it up there as one of my, top uh, Marvel comics. I was just recommending it to Riley when we were doing a live commentary this weekend uh, about uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back because I just, I really feel like it's delivered for me because I like Kanan. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right. Now, this is a six-issue series. We're going to cover the first three issues in this episode, the last three in the next. The issues are entitled Fight, Flight, Pivot, Catch, Release, and Haunt. Kind of a pattern to what we're seeing there with the titles. I'm going to go from a summary standpoint here, issue by issue, and then... Take a look at our thoughts on each as we go. Kind of like this was an arc of Rebels, perhaps. So we start in what sort of Rebels is present. I've pinned down that this is probably happening sometime shortly after Out of Darkness, just prior to Empire Day. So very, very early in 4 AB, or excuse me, 4 BBY, in order for this to make sense with the time references that they give throughout the story. So we start with the ghost on its way on a milk run to the planet Kaller to try to get supplies for the Tarkintown refugees on Lothal. Problem is, Kanan has already been to Kaller back when he was the Jedi Padawan Caleb Doom, and another name that we know thanks to A New Dawn, where we had that flashback to him talking with Obi-Wan as Caleb found out that Kanan Jarrus is essentially an assumed name. So we immediately jump back in a flashback to 15 years earlier, just prior to Order 66 on Kaller, where Caleb is fighting alongside his Jedi Master, Depa Bilaba, who is said to have gone through some major trauma and only sort of just recently in the most recent months come back into the Jedi Order for full-fledged Jedi activities. We find out more about that in the next arc 
First Blood. They're there with clone legions known as the Rostu Squad. I found that an interesting reference to Nick Rostu, probably, uh, back in Shatterpoint, because there are obviously very heavy ties between Shatterpoint and Depabilaba, though it is not canon, so nice to see them nodding there. But in Rostu Squad, there are two particular clone troopers to pay attention to, Gray and Styles. They start out battling Separatist forces led by General Cleave, this Deveronian dude with a cybernetic eye. And when it looks like the Republic is going to win, he hightails it the heck out of there, leaving things briefly under the command of local governor Gamut Key. He's a Kaloran, which is this sort of green reptilian type being. The Republic then takes over, essentially liberating them, but basically winding up being the new people in charge, which is not something that thrills all of the natives. And as a way of sort of showing good faith that they're not as bad as the Separatists, Depa and Caleb and Gray and Styles and the other troops decide that instead of setting themselves up in the local palace, they're going to essentially camp out for the evening. They're not going to impose on the people of Kalar and their rightful government. While they're sitting around the fire talking, they're discussing things like whether or not the Jedi should have gotten involved in the war, uh, should they have ever taken military ranks to be part of that chain of command and so forth. And they talk a little bit about how, well, Caleb was kind of the guy that was always asking questions at the Jedi Temple and known as kind of a nuisance in that regard. Throughout the course of that conversation, Depa gives Caleb her holocron so he can learn a little bit more about Jedi teachings and such. It's as they're just resting as part of this conversation when the call comes in. Commander Gray, the time has come. Execute Order 66. And we end the issue knowing that Gray and Styles are about to turn on Depa and Caleb, and Order 66 is about to change Caleb's life forever. Ending issue one. And the art here is just... It, again, it's what propels me forward. The battles here, when you see Master and Padawan back to back, I was screen sharing the the heck out of this when I was looking at it on my phone because they were just they were just glorious shots. Uh, I like the premise that they're building up. It's very reminiscent to a lot of stories that we got in the Clone Wars era from Legends, especially early before the Clone Wars stuff. Uh, but I think that's that's a brilliant move on their part, referencing things, uh, you know, from uh, Shatterpoint. I like that, too. And, and as Nate points out, it doesn't make Shatterpoint any part canon. It just means that there is some truth in that book, uh, you know, that there may be character names that are canon. You know, and, and that's just one of those things that we'll see more of that as it goes. Uh, but the relationship between Kanan and the clones was one that I found the most interesting. And I believe, Nate, you said at the beginning, you know, when you watch Rebels and you see Kanan interacting with Rex, this gives a lot of background to what's going on in Kanan. And I find that invaluable as a fan of Kanan's character. The other thing that I liked is I felt that it tied really well to some of the things we learned about Kanan in A New Dawn. Specifically, when they do that sort of flashback, the, the first chapter or the first segment in A New Dawn, where Kanan is Caleb and he's concerned that he that the Clone Wars are going to be over before he gets to him. And they reference that here. That put a smile on my face because you could see that, that, that sort of impetuous youth and, you know... You know, Barrent over in Rebels Roundtable and Republic Forces before that kind of would always talk about war Padawans and how they came up in a different 
era and and with different needs and uh, maybe different priorities and you can see that with Kanan here i mean he's a very capable fighter he 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 has the martial skills of a jedi but some of the the deeper thoughts and and the planning he he doesn't he he's we see this I mean, more, I think, in later issues, but he's very much a uh, ready-fire-aim sort of character. Yeah. Another thing it does is it illustrates something that, I don't know, maybe it's a personal pet peeve of mine, but a lot of people always throw out there, well, Star Wars doesn't do flashbacks. Well, guess what, folks? This is canon, and it's a flashback. That means we could get flashback stories, flashback movies. That opens a whole realm of possibilities. I I'm a, I'm a fan of a flashback story. I think that it's a great opportunity for some good storytelling. Well, shoot, that's what they did with not only big chunks of Aftermath, but if you look at the three uh, young adult books outside of Lost Stars from Force Friday, Moving Target, Weapon of a Jedi, and Smuggler's Run, those are all flashback stories too. There's a prologue and epilogue set in the era around The Force Awakens and everything else is flashback. I do oh. think that... Uh, Jonathan has a point regarding what I guess would be the phrase that Barrett uses about the war Padawan nature here. There's an interesting conversation that happens between Depa and Kanan, or Depa and Caleb. And Caleb says, I have questions, Master. As she asks him to describe what he feels. He says, I have questions, Master. Yes, that seems to be the natural state of your mind. But what of your heart? My heart is at peace. The truth is, I don't think I've ever been happier. An odd statement considering we are at war. Yeah, I know. The war has brought untold suffering to the galaxy, and yet... And yet you cannot help feeling glad you've finally found your place in it. Knew you'd understand. I do. But remember, Caleb, the universe is far from static, and as it changes, the Jedi's role in it must evolve. And she starts talking about the need for detachment and whatnot, essentially. And I think that's a really good way of encapsulating this character. We had this sense that he was a character who was a Padawan... During the Clone Wars, when Order 66 happened, and that drives the character as he goes into Rebels. The realization that he was relatively new as a Padawan, though, that he wasn't someone who was a Padawan thrust into war, he became a Padawan while the war was already going on, it reminds me in a lot of ways of the kids that I have in my classes now, who really don't know a world without the war on terrorism, and it has very much shaped how they react to the world around them. Well, here's Caleb, not really knowing much you know, getting into his formative early teen years, except the Clone Wars happening. And that's where he finds his place once he finally does get out into the world as a Jedi. And then all of that is stripped away, not just the Jedi Order taken away, but the conflict that provided the context of everything for him has been taken away. It makes for, again, a more profound sense, I think, of loss. And to a degree also, I think, helps explain why he so readily is able to get back into the more active role once he you know, lets everyone in on the secret in Spark of Rebellion, because that's his element. Hiding wasn't really him, but it was what he felt he had to do. This shows Kanan sort of at his young prime, and then eventually getting towards the adult prime, where we sort of see the one reflected in the other. Well, another thing is Master opens his mind to some philosophies that I think for for readers of Star Wars in this era, you know, we're always wondering, you know, was joining the Clone Wars the mistake? And she has a lot of thoughts that were very similar to Barriss Offie's. You know, Kanan's like, among the many things I don't understand is why you didn't respond to that Caloran. We can't let them think that there's no difference between the Separatists and the Republic. And she goes, 
I remain silent in part because our actions will be better illustrated than any words. In part, what's the other part? And she's quiet for a moment, which which to me, it tells me, you know, that it's definitely something that as an older Jedi, it's something she's thought about a lot. And she's hesitant to say it to him as his instructor. Uh, and yet she goes forward anyway. She goes, I believe the Jedi Order made a crucial error in taking military titles. And the clones, you know, this adds to that relationship. What? No way. With all due respect, General, I must disagree. We'd be lost. The whole war would be lost without Jedi leadership. And believe me, you wouldn't want to see the battalion without your leadership. It's not a matter of leadership, but of role and rank. Again, respectfully, General, I believe you underestimate the value of a clear chain of command. Like, the whole concept of where the Jedi fit into this war and the fact that some Jedi are clearly seeing that this is wrong. Uh, you know, it opens a door in Kanan's mind that I hope that Filoni plans on playing with later with the character in Rebels. I, I truly think that bringing Rex in is going to be the way that we're going to explore it the most. And I think we're going to get the most impact out of the fact that these two clones, their relationship with her and with Kanan and the way Kanan was kind of like trying to understand how they interacted with each other and that chain of command. I think that there's going to be some great storytelling in Rebels down the road, not just with this comic, but in the series itself. Well, now that we know that these comics and the books and everything else are just as much canon and just as much impactful on the overall story arcs and storyline as what we're seeing on our TV screens, I'm hopeful that this will impact it. But it brings up an interesting point for me that I've always kind of thought about the uh, Palpatine's overall plan with the Clone Wars. It wasn't just to you know, create a military force to that he could control, but it was also to corrupt and dilute the purpose of the Jedi Order. I mean, you know, it was stated all the time that they were peacekeepers. They weren't soldiers, but this situation forced them in it forced them to be soldiers and corrupted the core values and created a whole generation of Jedi Knights or Jedi Padawans that, you know, differed and strayed from the path. Before we move away from this, did you guys catch the Gendy Clone Wars Easter egg? Uh -huh. Well, okay, so when it's, what is it, General uh, Cleave, when he's standing up there, he's watching out as the two Jedi and their troops are just decimating everything. It reminds me of in the Gendy series when that one guy was standing on the thing, the guy that looked like uh, the monkey Mr. Mojo Dodo from uh, Powerpuff Girls, and he was watching, oh, so I could take them all down. How many Jedi did they send? 40? 50? Two, sir. Two? You know, it just had that feel to me, and I, I, I don't know. I felt like somebody did that on purpose. You know, again, that, that nod to what came before something, you know, being shown or, or told in a different way. In this case, it was something shown, you know, it was like scenes of the battle, scenes of the, the guy overlooking, but it had the same feel. To quote Chopper, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I guess we should note before we move into the next issue, though, talking about how this should be connecting to things. Not only is this a story that, thanks to being story group canon, winds up fitting with the rest of story group canon in terms of equality, this also is a story written by Greg Weissman who was the executive producer and story editor on Rebels during Season 1, albeit not in Season 2. So we move into issue number 2, which is an odd one just in the sense that it's still a flashback. We're still in the middle of that flashback back to the Clone Wars, but the only place we have any mention of the present day is in the opening crawl. Otherwise, the entire thing is set in the past. So we have the initiation of Order 66. Caleb is just kind of chilling with his master. He's 
kind of playing around with the holocron, looking at it, and boom, Order 66 goes down. Styles, Gray, and the rest of Rastu's squad turn on them. And for a moment, he freezes. He's not really sure what to do. He's ordered by Depa to run. Bear in mind, of course, that in the show, it's the, what was the last thing your master told you to do? What was her last word to you? Run. Not actually true, but it sort of summarizes the gist of it. Because she says run. These clones start attacking, and Caleb and Depa fight the clones until finally they realize, or she realizes, there's no way they can win the battle, and says, Caleb, you must run. Go, I'll be right behind you. That's her actual last words to him. He takes off. Uh, he knows that she's lying about following. He knows she's just buying time. But on her orders, he runs away anyway. And as Styles is about to shoot Caleb as he's running, Depa turns, uses the force it seems towards him, and in doing so provides Gray the moment to shoot her in the back. Depa dies. As she's on the ground, the other clone troopers are firing on her to make sure that she's dead, apparently. And he has to run. As they're hunting for him, he's basically stuck in Plateau City, the capital of Kalar, where he's sort of in the slums. He has no money, so he can't pay for any food, he can't pay for any lodgings, he doesn't want to sleep because he's afraid they'll catch him. He's really in rough shape, and it's a very long time, it feels like, or not an extremely long time, but a long time for someone who's been awake straight through, before he's finally found by actually a guy that it turns out, even though they all kind of look alike, I know, racist, speciesist! Um, a Caloran that we met back during the surrender and, and kind of, a, or not surrender, but the uh, exchange of control of Calor back in the previous issue, who turns out to be named Janus or Janus Casmir, who is a local Caloran. And he is willing to actually help young Caleb slash Canaan. He essentially says, look, you know, here's some food. You kind of stink. And, you know, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Here's some food. I'm done with you. But Caleb actually asks him if he can have a place to sleep. So for a one-time offer, he's allowed to sleep on Casimir's ship, the Casimiri. And it's there that he winds up switching out his clothes so that he looks a little less like a Jedi. That's when he receives the signal that we know of from Revenge of the Sith, telling all the Jedi to come back home, that trap of Palpatine's. He doesn't realize that it's a trap. And before he can really do anything about it, the troopers arrive. Janus has to step outside, or Casimir, I guess we'll call him so we don't get Jarus and Janus confused. Casimir steps outside, talks with the clones, and while he's doing so, Caleb thinks about things that he had just been told he would need to do to survive. To lie, to cheat, to steal, and to survive. And in doing so, he decides to steal the Casimir. He steals Janus' ship, the one guy who was helpful to him, the one guy who seemed to care, steals the ship, heads to Coruscant, and just as he's about to emerge from hyperspace over Coruscant, that's when he gets the other message from Obi-Wan that'll wind up being recorded onto that holocron. The whole, now this is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, I regret to inform you that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen, and so on and so on. The message we see back in Spark of Rebellion coming out of the holocron. Except it's too late for him to stop emerging over Coruscant, he emerges into a whole bunch of of ARC-170 fighters who know that the ship has been stolen, believe that a fugitive Jedi is aboard, and are ready to basically blow him out of the sky if he doesn't surrender. As such, issue two ends. Okay, and I'm kind of going to jump to the end of the issue a little bit because I have a question. Something that kind of bothered me, jumping to the end of the issue uh, a little bit, is when Caleb steals the ship and heads to Coruscant, 
he gets this message almost at the same time as the clones, Styles and Gray come come for him. And he, you know, jumps to Coruscant and it seems like almost right away he gets the message that he's going, you know, that that Obi-Wan changes to to tell the Jedi to go and hide. But I got the I got the impression from Revenge of the Sith that there was at least a little bit longer period of time. I mean, is just the ship that he stole really, really slow? Uh, well, he was know. hiding for a while is what I kind of gathered, that that it took him a while to get to where he was from the woods and the forest. But the other interesting thing about it, and, and it was something I thought Nathan might have an answer to, we know that from Rebels and then you get a new dawn. Uh, that the message changed. You know, a new dawn, it says, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Republic forces have been turned against the Jedi. Avoid Coruscant. Avoid detection. Stay strong. May the force be with you. And in Rebels, we get a much longer explanation. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but did this one line up with the one in Rebels, or is this now an example of a third version of it? Because we were told he sent out multiple messages in different forms, and I don't know if that was in a recon or what, but it was nothing that was in a book. It was something that they mentioned in a, one of those behind-the-scene things. But is this an example of a different version of the text, or is this the one that we saw in Rebels? This is either the exact text from Rebels or it's the exact text from Rebels with a tiny bit of that other one tossed into it because it sounds very much like it. I just rewatched Spark of Rebellion the other day, and yes, it does appear very familiar. Now, you mentioned the, the part where in Rebels he talks about the last thing his master had said in Run, and I had read that comic uh, – I don't know how – I must have missed the episode when it came on because I, I read the comic first. Uh, and when that moment came, like that was – it was like watching Order 66 in theaters knowing, you know, when it was going down, what was going to happen. You know, it was like, it was like, oh, man, that's so sad. Like it totally hit me. Now, Jonathan, you're the psychologist among us. I'm curious – the fact that he says that the last thing she said was run, and yet that those aren't the exact last words actually said by her, that could very easily be related to the trauma, right? If someone is traumatized, that moment of run and the feeling that it, that it inspired, that could very easily be what he actually believes is the last thing she said, right? Because of how that affects us psychologically? Well, yes, and there's another thing. That moment that she says run is the moment that Kanan is truly on his own, the, the moment that he transitions from his old life to his new life. That is the moment where the Jedi Order died and he had to almost reinvent himself because everything he knew, everything he believed, every, every way that he viewed himself changed. So that was that turning point. And to be honest, somebody that has gone through what he went through watching his master, I mean, the closest thing to family that Jedi have, uh, be murdered in front of him and murdered to save, you know, murdered because she was working to save him. The, the boy's got some post-traumatic stress disorder as well. I mean, he's not going to see things clearly. He's not going to respond to things rationally. And I think, you know, after reading this series and thinking about Rebel, the Rebel series, it's made me think that there's still some, some vestiges of that that hang on. I mean, look, look at how he responded to the clones in season two. It was such a visceral reaction. It's because he 
you know, he's still traumatized by it. Yeah, I I think, too, that there's a part of him that thinks the last thing she said was a lie and therefore not truth. Because she says, you know, there are too many. They'll soon cut off any escape. Caleb, we cannot win this battle. You must run. All those things are true fact. And then she says, go, I'll be right behind you. And it's like everything she's already said is pretty much telling him flat out that she's going to sacrifice himself. He knew that was a lie. So the last truthful thing she said was go. You know, this is all. And those are the kind of scenes for me that I really get a kick out of the most. You know, uh, the having to leave someone behind and you don't want to things. You know, the star by star where where Anakin's telling Jason to take Jaina and run. And you're just like, oh, my God, you cannot leave him behind. You know, the, the mercy kill when you find out who the mercy kill is. And this moment for me, like, that was one of the things that I was really looking forward to. And like I said, reading the comic first and then watching that in the on the, the screen was like, wow, like, I don't know how I ended up missing that as long as I did, because that was a cool moment when I caught it like that. And anybody out there that watches like that, I hope you had the same reaction I did, because that was added to the power. That brings us to issue number three. Another one of these that is still in flashback that never actually references the present outside of the opening crawl. So it is still shortly after Order 66. No adult Kanan just yet. So we pick up with Caleb over Coruscant, surrounded by the Ark 170s. He's being told to surrender or be destroyed. He waits a full minute, doesn't do anything. So finally they go ahead and open fire on him. He returns fire, gets clear just enough. He is apparently a pretty decent starfighter pilot for someone who we've never really seen as a pilot uh, in his youth. Of course, we see him with the ghost and such later uh, with Hera as his superior, but him still being able to pilot. And he jumps into hyperspace. He doesn't quite know where to go, so he goes where they he thinks they would least expect it, going back to Kyler. He heads back there and immediately is caught by Janice Kazmir, who is, for lack of a better term, extremely pissed that his ship was stolen. You, kid, I ought to wring your neck. I heard that almost in a in Zeb's voice when when reading the scene, and they have this quick discussion in which basically. Kazmir says, get the hell out of my life. I want nothing more to do with you. I get that you want to kind of stick around because uh, Caleb is trying to sort of, you know, get Kazmir to help him some more. Says, you know, you know, I get that you're you're used to following a master. You're in the market for a new one. Uh-uh. I'm not in the market for a pattern. Get the heck out of here. Basically, you're making a mess of my life. Get away from me. He does, yet he doesn't. He leaves, but he does keep an eye on Casimir. And when it looks like Casimir is going to get into a bit of a rough situation with another Kalaren and some thugs, a guy by the name of Tapusk, who can really only be told from the other characters by the fact that he has a scar across his face that can sometimes disappears depending on what panel we're looking at, Caleb jumps in to save the day, takes out the thugs, and they're able to send Tapusk scurrying off into the night. Casimir is not actually happy about this. You know, he says they were trying to negotiate a deal. He could have doubled his fees and still wound up ahead on the deal. Now he's out of crew. So guess what, Caleb? You get to be the crew. But if you're going to be part of this lifestyle, this smuggling and this this seedier lifestyle, you got to change. And among those things is the hair. Because apparently he keeps running his hand through his hair, which is a tell on his identity. And he hasn't cut off his Padawan braid yet. He cuts off the braid, he puts the hair back in a ponytail, 
takes a lightsaber, breaks it into the two pieces that we now think of from Rebels, starts carrying a blaster, puts away the holocron, and smashes his Jedi communicator. So now he's a little bit more like the the uh, Caleb, the Kanan that we meet in Rebels, but significantly younger. And he realizes, or is told by Casimir, that you know, you don't really have much of a name anymore, right? I mean, I'm, he's, he keeps calling him Kid. Among the things that he is changing aside from his appearance is the realization he's going to have to change his name at some point because Caleb Doom is a wanted enemy of the Empire and he hasn't chosen a new one just yet. So basically, for the most part, Casimir is going to keep calling him Kid, which he detests, but what else is he going to do? They go on a job and you see... Casimir in his, basically his work attire, his mask, which is absolutely awesome looking, I think. And they're supposed to be there to steal some droids. Some of those same droids that we see with Citraco Visago, for instance, back in Rebels. Unfortunately, they've been tipped off. Tapusk, right, the rival, has tipped off Gamut Key, who is now governor to what's about to happen. And in trying to sort of talk himself out of the situation, Casimir turns and says, Hey, you know, let's make a deal. Well, arresting me is your prerogative, Gamut Key. You have that authority. The authority to put a war hero on trial for misplacing a few droids. War hero, since when are you? Or we can make a deal, a plea bargain, if you will. You let me go and arrest the Jedi instead. It surely appears that he's just turned on Caleb. As issue three ends. Dun, dun, dun. One of the slickest things I liked about this issue was the time jump. Uh, you know, when when uh, Janice tells him, you know, go away. And Kanan goes, so I ran again. But he was right. I had nowhere else to go. And you see him in that panel where it says, I have nowhere else to go. He's in the that present moment of the beginning of the flashback. Then the next one, he's looking over his shoulder at Janice and his hair is significantly longer, not as long as it's about to be. Uh, but then the next one you see, he's looking at Janice from a distance of the ship. And then, and this is the one I felt was slick. There are four panels of the planet calendar. And you can tell based on where the, the lineup of the shadows from the sun is that it's been a year's time because by the last panel, the sun's now shining from the complete opposite side of them all. And at this point, Kanan has got very long hair. I mean, so long that there are some panels where he actually looks like a little girl at times, uh, which didn't bother me, but I thought it was really slickly done that the way that the planets showed that it was a year. I mean, there's nothing to indicate it. Like I was literally just looking at it going, Oh wow. Okay. So the sun's moved to the other side. Okay. So it's made a full orbit. Oh, a, a lunar year. Okay. That's true. And there's a reference later to some, to them. Uh, and we'll see in the later issues when they part ways, they refer to it as being 14 years ago. Whereas the initial beginning of this story says 15 years ago. So the only way that makes sense is if we have a year's passage approximately between the beginning around Order 66 up through what we're seeing as we get to the end of issue number five. Now, what did you guys think of, uh, I guess, Caleb slash Kanan's new look? It's kind of a precursor of the way he's going to appear in Rebels, which it was intended. But it, I don't know, at first it just, it, I mean, I, I see how it was necessary, but it looked kind of odd. 
Well, it was cool too because the progression was he was wearing his Jedi robe at first with like a Jawa bandolier, so he was like like a little Jawa, and then he just went full like, oh, I'm just gonna commit to the military look, tying the hair back and stuff. But I thought it worked as a transition. I thought it was it was well played. But overall, that's my interpretation of this comic. I I think it's worked well to transition the character by going back and shifting us forward. Now, given that he spent a year scrounging and uh you know having to steal to survive and do whatever do you guys think that this is one of the reasons he connected so well with a certain loth rat we know <laughs> i had my own street rat street rat years <laughs> yeah i mean he he's very much like how ezra was now granted he had the training and then lost it as opposed to having none and then gaining it but yeah i think this gives us much more of a reason for why he was empathizing with a situation for Ezra. As for the costume, I would agree. It sits a little wrong on me, at least the first few times that I see it. Then it just kind of fades into the background like everything else. It feels, but I, I wonder if it's meant to feel this way. It feels like a little kid playing dress up in a grown man's clothes. And in a sense, that's kind of what he's doing. He's having to basically act like he's much older than he is in order to survive because he's only, at this point, what, 14, 15 years old. And yet now he has to be essentially on his own or he's going to be a partner with this older criminal, this sort of alien Han Solo type figure, which made me chuckle when I thought, you know, he's an alien type of Han Solo, you know, smuggler type guy with the heart of gold in some instances in the story. And he's a green alien. Huh? Huh? <laughs> well, you know, another thing that, that I was thinking about based off of the last episode of Rebels uh, you know, Ahsoka tells Kanan that he's more qualified as a Jedi than she is. And it's like, I, I question that because at this time, training wise, you know, when the order, as Jonathan said, ceased to exist, he had less training than she did. Uh, you know, I would I would almost dare to say that she's actually more qualified. She made it to the trial. She was told by the council she passed. She chose to walk away, but she had the diploma. See, he didn't I, even get a GED. <laughs> I still got to say, though, I think that that is less about the amount of training. And she was saying it as a joke based on the fact that he was still a Jedi when it all came down and technically still could be considered a Jedi. And she's the one who walked away from it. It's I don't know. I think we're looking way too deeply into that comment. Well, oh, and we funny. had that and we had that discussion uh, in the last Rebels Roundtable we recorded. But I agree with Nathan. It wasn't about skill level. It was about the fact that she rejected the order and he didn't. All right. Well, toward the end, well, the last couple of frames of this this issue, I think I was kind of surprised that he threw uh, Caleb slash Kanan under the bus. Did did you guys think that that was an honest betrayal, or do you think that there was always a plan there? I'll be honest. That's tough. I'll be honest, when I first read it, I thought he was straight up giving him up. I thought we were getting a twist on the sort of smuggler with the heart of gold thing. It'll turn out that the guy was giving Kanan a tough lesson in trust. And I was very surprised when we got to the next issue. Yeah, I wasn't expecting him to be more like Lando Calrissian. I was expecting the complete double cross at first, but then him coming back around going, oh, I'm going to make it better was, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I thought for sure he was just going to toss him under the bus and just leave him for dead. Uh, and then, you know, what we get later, I think it worked. But 
at that moment reading it in single issues, yeah, I, I bought I bought the lie, man. <laughs> the only thing that did give me question to whether or not that was the case, though, was how much time they spent building those two up and their little makeshift partnership. I was kind of wondering why would they do that and then yank it away. But it could just have easily have been that Casimir becomes the enemy for the next three issues instead of still being an ally for the next three issues. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I, like you guys, thought that it was a straight-up betrayal because he seemed like he, uh, I guess, took Caleb under his wing as long as it suited him. And suddenly, you know, he needed to get out of a situation and, well, he doesn't owe the kid anything. Yeah, and and that's and that's the angle that works so well in singles because you're like, okay, this guy is just so cutthroat, and he already told Kanan he don't care. So, you know, there's nothing above him. Just, I mean, really, to slit Kanan's throat and leave him behind. That's the scariest thing about Kanan's position right now is he really has no one he can trust. And this moment just illustrates that once again. You're like, even the people you think you can trust aren't necessarily people you can trust. Although. Kanan did have a year of watching the guys, so maybe that's part of where his trust came in from. But again, that was so subtle that the reader, you know, we easily fell into the trap. I got to say that it's funny because he, in a sense, represents sort of a change in Han Solo in some respects, right? Because he appears here in what he's doing. It feels really like what we used to think Han might have done at the beginning of A New Hope. And then mm-hmm. came Greedo shooting first. And now comes the princess, the scoundrel, and the farm boy that gives us much more insight of how early it is that he's thinking about whether or not he's a good man and thinking about trying to protect Luke, even though he really barely knows the kid and so forth. And it turns out that Han, in canon, is actually a lot more like what we saw with Casimir here, in that you could expect him to maybe do something that turns on you, but I imagine that Han would be someone who sees a kid... Uh, like a little Jedi Padawan on the street and says, hey, kid, here's something to eat. Hey, kid, yeah, you can sleep in my ship for the night. In so many respects, I see the reflection of Han here. Will that continue? We'll find out on the next Beyond the Films. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Special thanks again to Jonathan for coming on to help us cover the first half of Kanan, the last one. Jonathan, if you have any uh, contact information you'd like to give the listeners, now's a good time for that. Well, as always, people can... Email me at Jonathan at RepublicForces.com or Jonathan, that's J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N at StarWarsFanWorks.com. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.StarWarsReport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. Preferably a positive one, but you don't have to. Just lay it on the line. We really don't care. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, 
questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Hey, our sponsors, they have more than 100,000 titles you can explore. You can explore the Star Wars Legends universe or the canon one or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. And Jonathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll ever see some of the side characters like Casimir show up in Rebels. And Nathan. And say Jonathan. Oh, I'll say yeah, it again. F- just one. because, of the, because Whistler was still f- f- going. Fault. Okay. Look, bastard droid. That's right again. Uh, <clears throat>